So you'll find it on page 45 in your pew Bibles, and it's Genesis chapter 41, page 45. Pharaoh's dreams. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven ears of corn, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears of corn sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin corns of corn swallowed up the seven healthy full ears. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell them that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. The thin ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be, re- to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge in my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. 
Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, but Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is, because, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, <clears throat> but the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Thank you, Jane. <clears throat> um, that, was, that was quite a reading, Jane. That was absolutely brilliant. I tell you what, Andrew Lloyd Webber made millions on that story. Absolutely millions. And without a doubt, it was an Alexander family favorite, which I have to tell you was quite distracting when I was trying to prepare this sermon because all I could hear was... Any dream will do, boom, boom, boom. And then the image of the fat cows and the thin cows. And I mean, it was, it was entirely distracting. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, there we go. Um, I'm just going to backtrack a bit to kind of give us the story so far. I feel like it's a kind of Sunday evening book at bedtime. And we're now on the next chapter. It's a phenomenal story. So those of you who are listening to this current series, you'll know that it's now about 13 years since Joseph um, was attacked by his brothers, his coat was taken, he was sold into slavery, and then he was spotted by Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's palace, really important person. He did pretty well in Potiphar's palace. He did really well. Um, and then there was a problem. Potiphar's wife, um, she made a pass at him. She really wanted him. And Joseph said, no, nothing doing, absolutely nothing doing. So she compromised him. Uh, she told Potiphar he was thrown into prison. And then last week we heard that uh, one of uh, two of Potiphar's actually uh, kind of key officials were thrown into prison with him for something completely different, just for a short while. I mean, that's what the Pharaoh can do. He can, you know, throw people into prison. <clears throat> they had a dream, and Joseph interpreted their dreams. And Joseph thought this was his moment, and he was going to get out of prison. And so we find him now still in the dungeon. Let me just pray. <clears throat> Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you open our hearts to hear the word that you have for each one of us individually this evening? Amen.
So let me tell you, once I'd stopped being distracted by uh, Lloyd Webber tunes and lyrics, I was really struck by the first three words of uh, chapter 41. Jane said to me before she read, she said, you're not just going to talk about three words, are you? And I've just read this entire chapter. I said, no. And just to reassure you, I'm not going to go it verse by verse either, because otherwise none of us is going to get to bed tonight. Um, But two years passed two years passed, 730 days and nights and counting. What was going on in those two years? We know just one thing, but it's a wonderful thing. It's what kept Joseph not just surviving, but I believe thriving. While Joseph was in prison, we read in Genesis 39 verse 20, The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and showed him favor to the prison warden. In that filthy, dirty dungeon, for two years, forgotten, abandoned, Joseph actually did well. And how could he possibly have coped? Because God was with him. God loved Joseph. God was for him. God was with him. And in God's presence, Joseph prospered. He grew in the knowledge of God. And he got to really recognize God's voice. And so the most important thing I would invite you to take away from this evening's sermon is simply this. God is with you. God is for you. And God loves you. And actually, I'm going to be repeating that several times as we go through. Because I just think it's so important. Did you know that you are precious in his eyes? How hard is that for us to hear sometimes? And yet it's true. That's his promise to us. It's not some emotion-laden, touchy-feely statement to encourage us. This is God's word to us. Simply put, we love Because God first loved us. It's in 1 John 4.19. So Joseph may not have been living his best life. Food wasn't great. Washing facilities negligible. Um, And yet he knew God was with him. And it gave him hope. Romans 5 talks about how our suffering produces perseverance. You know what? I go on and off that passage, but (laughs) hey-ho. It is God's word. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Or as some translation says, it doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because... God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And in a world that is obsessed with self-improvement, be it our bodies, our minds, even spiritually, I do wonder if we sometimes just get stuck with an image of a God who's constantly trying to purify us, to character build us, to make us better, to make us more holy. 
and we forget that God's love has been poured into our hearts. That is so important. Yes to character building. Yes to purifying us. Yes to making us holy. But that yes comes after God loving us so much that he gave his son for us. This is love, we read in 1 John 4.10. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. And you know what? If we get it the wrong way around, if we start trying to be so good that God loves us, we have completely missed the point of salvation. We have, in effect, got into a worldly pattern of self-improvement. If I do this, God will love me. If I do this, I'll get holy and God will love me. God loved us first. So, put simply, God was with Joseph. God loved Joseph. And Joseph did well. He prospered. So, we move on. How did he prosper? How did he do well? What did that look like? Did he suddenly become a brilliant evangelist? Was there revival in the prison? Did Joseph perform miracles? There's no evidence for any of the above. It was quite simple. He knew God was with him. God's presence was his encouragement, his hope, his motivator for doing the very best he could at whatever job he was asked to do. And he found favor with the prison warden. He did really well in his day job. And a pretty grim day job that was. He prospered because God was with him. God loved him and God was for him. And that gave him hope. I'm sure he had bad days. I mean, you know, prison routines, smelly slop buckets, just a bit too much. Days when he wondered what on earth was the Lord doing. And he waited and he waited. A question. Can you and I look back over the past two years and say, the Lord was with me? The Lord was with me. Can we look back over the last two years and add, he showed me kindness? Can we say, in spite of everything, God was with me, in spite of so much being out of my control, God showed me kindness. Do you know, Joseph did not get out of the dungeon because of his good behavior. I mean, we really need to be clear about that. His his sense of doing well, his prospering, was a deep personal sense of God with me. It was enough that God was with him. And then we move on through the chapter and we get to verse 14. Suddenly, everything changes. Pharaoh sends for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. There was a a flurry of shaving and washing and dressing. And suddenly now, 
in God's perfect time, Potiphar's cupbearer had remembered the Hebrew slave in prison who two years ago interpreted my dream. And with no preamble, Pharaoh gets to the point. He's deeply troubled. He's had a couple of dreams and he instinctively knows they're important. His own advisors can't help. Pharaoh needs answers. Oh, and what does Joseph say? I cannot do it. Verse 16. You know what? Perhaps not the ideal answer to the man who could have you beheaded with a word. I cannot do it. But God can. God is able. And with that answer, we see the huge impact on Joseph of daily dependence on God. We see the fruit of two years past. I can't, but God can. What Pharaoh sees is that God is with Joseph. So much so that when Joseph, in genuine humility, also gives him a solution to the problem raised by his dreams, how do you manage seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine? Pharaoh's response is absolutely extraordinary. Verse 38. Can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Forget that this man is a Hebrew slave, a nobody, a man who an hour ago was languishing in my deepest dungeon, a man whose existence meant nothing to me. What is important, what matters, is I see the Spirit of God in him. Brothers and sisters, what a privilege it is to be able to speak into the lives of those around us. And yet in every day, big and small ways, God is inviting us to do just that. To speak into situations in the world around us. So my question is, are we ready with a response? Are we yielding to God's preparation in our lives? <clears throat> My, and it is a personal conviction that's been sitting with me for a little while, is that we need to release ourselves from the lingering feeling that the Christian life is just all a bit like hard work. We need to rekindle the joy of our salvation. God loves you and he loves me. He wants the very best for us. He is not a harsh withholding God, denying us the fun bits of life but a loving Father who has a plan in place for our very best lives. He gave us his Holy Spirit. He gifted us with an amazing range of character traits to help us every day. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit, a spectrum 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are some of the tools of our trade. Now, these are all equally important. But I'm going to ask you a question. It's a question I've asked myself. Is it possible that we focus on some more than on others and indeed forget their equal importance? Is it, in, is it possible that in the midst of what we've been going through over the last 18 months, we have lost the joy of being in Christ together? Nehemiah talks about the joy of the Lord is your strength. That was a word to the exiles. Sometimes I think we have been a bit like exiles. And now we're coming back again. Now we're trying to reconnect. Now we're trying to serve again, to get things going. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not the shame at our guilt. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Is that right? Amen. Oh, let's hear it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's rekindle the sheer delight of knowing that God can use us through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak his word into the situations we find ourselves in. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit comes upon Joseph, not when he's preaching a sermon, not when he's evangelizing, but when he's actually got a huge strategic problem to sort out the food shortage and the food abundance of the whole nation of Egypt and, in fact, for all the nations around. Goodness me, isn't that what we want for our government ministers? That the Holy Spirit would fall upon them and give them wisdom. I mean, I am saying that seriously. That is what we want. So let's not allow ourselves to be unhelpfully somehow or other confining God to so-called spiritual activities. Our God is the God of all creation. He's interested in every tiny aspect of our lives. So let's allow the wind of the Spirit to break into our daily routine. I can personally testify, and you can ask me later, <clears throat> to times <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit has literally given me wisdom on things, practical things. I have utterly no competences. Let's face it, I have very little competence in kind of practical things. But I mean, it's, God is so good. <clears throat> it's also interesting just to note that this is the first time in the Old Testament that we read of an individual working in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, however, we, however, are living every moment of every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. God is with us. He loves us. He is for us. 1 John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Amen.
We are called to speak his love, his salvation, his wisdom, his solutions into the situations of those we meet in our everyday lives. So back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was so convinced by the presence of God in Joseph that he gave him an authority which was second to none but himself. And as symbols of that authority, Joseph receives Pharaoh's signet ring, fine linen clothing, and a chain of gold, verse 42. And in some respects, the symbolism is obvious, but nonetheless really important. So let me again ask you, do we take seriously enough the authority invested in us through the blood of Jesus to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to set the prisoners free? Joseph no longer had the chains of a slave, but the freedom of Pharaoh's kingdom. Do we recognize deeply enough with joy that we are no longer slaves, but God's children, and as his children, heirs of his kingdom? And if Jesus sets us free by the blood of the cross, then we are free indeed, amen. And thirdly, Joseph was dressed in new clothes, gone are the prison rags, instead fine linen, and not just a sign of wealth, but for us a sign of righteousness. We are called to be clothed in righteousness. Listen to Isaiah 61. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm not going to focus on the rest of the narrative except to say that through Pharaoh, God continues to pour blessings on Joseph. Joseph accepts an Egyptian wife, a sign of Pharaoh's blessing and honor. However, in the naming of his sons in this pagan land, he never forgets God and blesses them with Hebrew names that acknowledge both God's mercy and his faithfulness. The chapter ends with a tribute to the fact that Joseph's interpretation was indeed correct. Seven years of plenty were followed by seven years of terrible famine, a famine that was met by God's provision through Joseph, not just for Egypt, but for all the nations round about. Just think about it in our impatient, I want it now world. Joseph had to wait eight years to have confirmed that the word God gave him was indeed correct. Eight years. The story of Joseph is not just a great rags to riches, prison to palace epic, though, isn't it? It is a prophetic declaration right at the beginning of the Bible, the hidden hand of God, already preparing his people for his Messiah. Jesus, the coming Savior, whose suffering for a crime he did not commit would ultimately bring salvation to all nations. It is also a story of the task God has for each of us. Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest 
parts of the world. And so, to conclude. When you are next sitting in your own personal dungeon, and we all do from time to time, don't we? We all do. Just remember, God is with you. In times of plenty and in times of need, he is with you. And he loves you and he is for you. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to speak his solutions, his plans, his purposes into the lives of those around us. To minister the gospel message in the way we live our lives. So brothers and sisters, I, as I say, it is a really, it's a personal conviction, but I share it with you that you witness it in your spirits. I believe it is the time for us to wake up. It's time for hope. It's time to see afresh that God is good, that he is for us. It's time to lift up our heads to the light of his countenance. It's time to choose to live in the joy of the Lord, in the hope that Jesus set before us through the cross. Let me pray. Father God, what a wonderful, wonderful God you are. How much you love us. Father, would you show us, each one of us, that you are with us, that you are for us. Would you push us out to rejoice in all that you have done for us in your son Jesus? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? Would you cause us to cry out in good times and bad times, the joy of the Lord is my strength? And would you do that, Father God, for the sake of your kingdom? And we ask that in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.